tonight, I, I can't even begin to express just how excited I am for tonight. And out of all of the message, out of all the messages that I know that are, um, you know, that have been preached at this retreat so far, this is probably the one I've anticipated the most. And it's not because it's the last night and it's not because it's, you know, the last one. It's because the subject is probably the most powerful, intriguing, and yet scandalous thing that we'll all come to know. And I know that you guys have been blessed so much so far by Pastor Marcus and his preaching. Uh, but tonight, I guess my, I just want to give you fair warning. Get ready. Because it's going down. And so, you know, without further ado, I want us to just give, you know, another warm welcome and pretty much a thank you for being here and spending your weekend with us and preparing these messages and speaking and ministering to each of us. Just a warm thank you and welcome to Pastor Marcus as he comes up and gives the final, <laughs> final message. No, it'd be fine. <laughs> I'm grabbing music stand. Wow, that, that's getting, that spoken word was powerful. Um, it's funny because last, if some of you guys who were here last semester at the Kairos retreat, uh, Pastor Aaron and Eunice um, and a brother by the name of Joshua, Joshua Chang, they performed a spoken word piece that, that I, I had, had the privilege of writing. And in this go around, they were saying, we want to do another spoken word. I was like, no, <laughs> but I knew that they could do it. And so when they, Eunice got up here and, and did that piece, it was so powerful. I just want to take a moment and pray for us. Jesus. We come here tonight um, for you. We don't come here for anyone else. For Lord, if we came for anyone else, what would be the point? We can see our friends somewhere else. We can we can watch us get in a performance somewhere else. We can sing worship songs somewhere else. No, God, we came here because we seek to encounter you at the deepest place of our hearts is a desire to encounter you. So God, I pray that tonight you would open up our hearts to the real nature of your love. And it's love that speaks to every heart. It's a love that is stronger than any force. 
It's stronger than all evil. It's stronger than all death. God, would we encounter your love? Get a fresh revelation of your love. I pray right now for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and to the knowledge of you, God, to go out right now. That every heart in this place, God, would be open, God. That your spirit would touch hardened hearts, God. Hearts that may have been hard this entire retreat, God. I pray right now, God, by your spirit, Lord, that it would begin to soften. Jesus, only you can soften a hardened heart. Not my words, God, not anyone else's words, Jesus. Only you can do the impossible. So, God, would you move? Move tonight. Move right now. We thank you, Lord. Open our hearts to receive fully, to have eyes to see you fully, ears to hear you fully, a mind to conceive what is inconceivable. And that's your sacrifice for us, your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to be honest, I want to just break down and cry right now. <laughs> it would get a little awkward. You know, if I just sit here, if I lay out on the stage and start bawling. You know, some of you that maybe are a bit more like sanguine or more emotional, you probably just start crying. Like, I don't even know why he's crying, but I want to cry now. And then some of you would be like, this is awkward. I didn't even know that there was such a thing as tear ducts, you know, <laughs> never cried before. You know, it's good for a man to cry. Uh, when a man cries, you know, I'm going to speak just specifically to the brothers for a moment. It's okay to be emotional. It's okay to have emotion, show emotion. God has emotions. And anyone who sits around and thinks that, you know, I ain't going to cry, I'm going to stay hard. Um, you know, thug, gangster. Uh. <laughs> You're fronting. Because God sees you when you cry at home. <laughs> tears, what tears do is they, they remind us that we have a heart and that we're human. Man, I was just getting I was getting such a deep revelation of God's love during during worship. Man, the worship team was off the hook, right? Okay, message. <laughs> the theme of this retreat is what? Oh, you guys said it. You're supposed to whisper it. The theme of this retreat was what? Oh, snap. We've gotten really good at that. The beginning, the beginning of the retreat is like, and David was like, everyone whisper scandalous love as loud as you can. Everyone's like, scandalous love. Scandalous love. Now everyone's scandalous love. <laughs> and at the beginning, I talked about how in Romans 9, 32 to 33, it says that God has placed a stumbling block. That the word in the Bible for scandal means a stumbling block. And God said, I have placed a stone of stumbling before them in Zion. As it is written, I have laid a stone of stumbling, a scandal, a rock of offense, a scandal that whoever believes in him. Wait, what? Stumbling block him. Whoever believes in him 
would not be put to shame. And how that scandal, the biggest scandal, the biggest stumbling block is not an event. It's Jesus Christ. And I talked about how we have two options when we are placed before a stumbling block. We can ignore it and go around it or we can stand on it. But I want to tell you what God was hitting me with during worship was that's not true. I'm sorry. (laughs) Everyone makes mistakes. Just because I have the mic does not mean I'm perfect. But I am close. (laughs) Just kidding. See, the truth of the matter is, is that when a stumbling block is placed before you, you only have two options. You either fall away or you fall in. And when the stumbling block of Christ is placed before you, you either fall away or you fall in love. When Christ is presented before you, the only real option is to fall in love with him. You literally trip over this stumbling block. It's not a stumbling block you can go around. Either way, you're going to fall. The question is, are you going to fall away or are you going to fall in love? Tonight, God wants you to fall in love. You know, the entire Bible, it's not a story of do's and do nots. It's not about the Ten Commandments. The Bible is not about God telling you what to do and what not to do. Go to church, but don't look at this. Pray, but don't play video games. Be kind to people, but don't say bad words. You know, the Bible is not about do's and do nots. And as much as the Bible is about sin, really the Bible is about a love story. And it's a love story that involves each and every one of us. In the beginning, in the garden, the story of humanity begins with a wedding. Adam and Eve. You know, God knocks Adam out because he realizes that Adam's alone and he's walking around. Now, he's not actually that sad. Adam didn't even realize that he had a need. When I imagined Adam, I was like, you know, he's walking around with like the lions and and the, you know, the deer. Like, I really wish I had a wife. (laughs) I mean, this lion is great, but this won't do. (laughs) No, no, actually, it says that, you know, Adam, Adam never realized that he had a need. God realized that Adam had a need. Made, knocked Adam out, (laughs) took his rib, made Eve. You know, I can imagine that. It's like God's walking up to Adam. What's up, Adam? What's what's up, God? (laughs) Wakes up. Oh, hey. (laughs) He looks at he looks at Eve, you know, flesh of my flesh. Write that on your Valentine's Day card (laughs) when you're married. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, 
we know the story that the serpent comes in and he deceives Eve. And really, the deception that comes in the garden is really Satan comes in to pull Adam and Eve out of the bounds of the covenant of love that God has placed with them. God had placed with them a covenant saying that I'm going to provide for all your needs. You're going to find all your satisfaction, all your sustenance in me and in the covenant of love that I've made for you. But when the Satan comes in, he comes in and he convinces them to, to pull out. He places a, a stumbling block, a scandal in front of them. And Eve is deceived and Adam is deceived and they step outside. And that's when we have the introduction of sin. That's when we see where man begins to get this inclination to always step outside of love. To step outside of loving someone else like you would yourself. To step outside of sacrifice, to step outside of laying down your life for someone else. And that's what we see happen. And and then the story of humanity from that point on is really in our story as well is really this this pull back and forth between being brought into the love of God and then us falling away, being brought into the love of God and then us falling away. And being brought once again into the love of God and God saying, here is another pathway I've made for you to experience my love, to know my love, to know how much I care for you, to know how much I really am devoted to you. And then us falling away. There's a specific story I want to tell you about in the Old Testament. And it's a scandalous love. It's a story of a man named Hosea. Even during worship, as we were worshiping, God was speaking to me about Hosea and his wife, Gomer. Gomer, she was a prostitute. Now, I don't know, you know, I guess those are the kind of names they used to have back then, you know. I'm going to give my daughter a great name, Gomer. She would have got picked on in high school. Like if she was at my high school. Yo, Gomes. <laughs> I want to tell you about the story of Hosea and Gomer. Hosea was a prophet of God. Hosea was a righteous man. Hosea walked with God. He heard God. He walked with him and he was devoted to God. But then Gomer, on the other hand, Gomer was a prostitute and it was well known that Gomer was a prostitute. And all of a sudden, God comes to Hosea and he says, listen, Hosea, there's this woman named Gomer. She's a prostitute. I want you to marry her. Now, imagine if God comes to you with that kind of proposition. No, God. He says, Hosea, I want you to marry this woman, Gomer, because this is going to represent my love for the people. So Hosea says, OK. And he marries this woman, Gomer, and he loves Gomer. He loves Gomer with her, his entire heart. He he just lavishes her with love. But there's still aspects inside of Gomer that still desire the things from before. 
And so despite the love that has been shown to Gomer through Hosea, Gomer still leaves and goes out and prostitutes herself. Now, in that situation, every single one of us would say, leave her. But God comes to Hosea again. He says, listen, Hosea, I want you to go back. I want you to go find Gomer and I want you to bring her back home. And I want you to love her as if she's never done anything wrong. And Hosea, he obeys and he goes and he gets Gomer out in the street, prostituting herself, falling out of the love of that God has shown through Hosea again. And he brings her back. And he loves her as if she's never done anything wrong. And Gomer still again, because she's lived her entire life thinking that she's a prostitute. That is how she saw herself. When she looked in the mirror, she said, I'm Gomer. I'm a prostitute. My worth is shown in other people and what they think about me. My worth is in money. My worth is in the things of this world. Hosea was trying to show her the love of God. But the love of the things of this world were so strong. Gomer goes out again. You would think, you know what? Fool me once. You know? Fool me twice? Uh-uh. 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 But God comes to Hosea again. Hosea, I want you to go and get Gomer. And I want you to love her like she's never done anything wrong. He goes and gets her. He pulls her back. He brings her back in to love. This is a picture of us. Some of you say, I've never done anything wrong. (laughs) That's the most prideful statement. (laughs) Who do you think you are? (laughs) Hey, really? You must be a robot. Like, seriously. (laughs) Like, they just program what you do each day. That's a boring life. No, you see, all of us have sinned. There's no one among us that's righteous. All of us have fallen short. And the thing is, is that we continue to fall out of love. See, Satan, he's he's so good. He puts these little scandals in front of us. And it causes us to fall. And it causes us to stumble. And then what begins to happen for each one of us is that we begin to believe that that's who we are. We look in the mirror and all we see in the background is is those paths where we've had to zigzag and fall over each and every rock and so we say you know might as well give up and this was the story of humanity all throughout the old testament actually you had god's people falling into sin And God bringing, raising up men and women to pull them back into his love. God, and then they'd be back in his love. They'd experience his blessing. And then all of a sudden they'd fall back into sin again. And then he'd pull them back in. 
and they'd fall again. And he pulled them back in. And at some point, it just got to a point where God's like. And actually, that's how we think God views us. You know, I've messed up so much. I'm going to get to a point where God's just going to be like, hmm, it's done. Good game. You won. But then we see, and as we talked about, the scandalous love of the incarnation. Where all of a sudden God, he hasn't spoken to the people in 400 years, but he decides to speak. And all of a sudden, in this woman named Mary, he births a child, Jesus. And Jesus walks the earth as a sinless man. He walks the earth healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing lepers. He's no one who comes to Jesus does he turn away. Even the woman that we talked about earlier today, he still ends up healing her daughter. And he wa- lives his perfect life. But in the midst of it all, we reject him. You ever had someone love you so much it makes you uncomfortable? You ever had someone so friendly that you want to smack them? You know, there was this girl in high school. Her name was Kathleen. <laughs> Kathleen, she was a she, she was a uh, pastor's daughter. And she loved the Lord. And she was so friendly. <laughs> she was so friendly. I wanted to. OK, I'm not going to hit her. <laughs> but I wanted to get someone else to. Like, she was so nice. She was so loving. Like, and if you know my story, I met Kathleen in my sophomore year in high school. Uh, Before that, uh, during that time when I moved to that high school, I was homeless. Because for the first 15 years of my life, I lived in an abusive household. Where every day, I I was, not every day, but three, four times a week. That's that's enough, I think. I was told that I was stupid, nothing. You suck. You know, before even people start to say, and you suck. Like just being abused verbally and physically. And then in the middle of the night, when I was 15, Thanksgiving Day, uh, we we move. We move three hours at, uh, from the city I grew up in to another city, and we stayed in a homeless shelter. We stayed in a homeless shelter for two months, and we went. And I remember going to my first day of school and seeing this girl, Kathleen, and for the next two months, she was the nicest person to me at school, and I hated her for it. <laughs> it's funny. There's something inside of us that hates perfect love. There's something inside of us that doubts that that love, that that genuine could be true. There's something inside of us that where someone, when we hear about a love that won't fail us, when we hear about a love that won't let us down. There's something inside of us that resists with everything in us. We can't believe it. We can't believe that such a thing would exist, right? Oh, that someone would love me despite my addiction to pornography. 
that someone would love me despite the fact that I'm not a virgin. That someone would love me despite the fact that I was molested. That someone would love me despite the fact that I struggle with homosexuality. That someone would love me despite the fact that maybe I failed or I'm not the person that I wish I was. We hear about that love and there's something inside of us that rejects it. So you have this man, Jesus, walking around, living a perfect life. Living in a life that embodies perfect love. And what do the people do? They reject him. They reject him completely. In fact, he, they mock him. They ridicule him. They arrest him. They beat him. And then at the end, there's a moment where they have an opportunity to let him go. They have an opportunity to let him go or to let someone else go. This man that was a murderer. This man who had killed people. Everyone knew that this guy was a murderer. I'm sure he was up there in chains like, oh, I'm a murderer. (laughs) You know? (laughs) But, But they decide to let the murderer go. You know what? We believe in bad things more than we do good. It's just going to be real tonight. It's not going to be no boom shakalaka revelation. (laughs) I just want to speak to your hearts. Think about it. We believe so much more in the bad than we do the good. We walk into a room and we immediately assume that people hate us, not love us. We wake up in the morning and we immediately assume that today's going to be a bad day, never a good one. We walk into worship and we immediately assume that God's going to see our sin and not the person that he's made us to be in him. Why? Sin. Because there's because we've seen ourselves like Gomer being a prostitute our whole lives. That that's the only that's the only words we'll accept. If I told you you were a failure, you probably wouldn't get offended. But if I told you that God has made you fearfully and wonderfully, that he set you apart, that he would die for you, that he would give up his very life for you. Then you feel uncomfortable. They let the murderer go. And this and then they they question Jesus and they question him. Each and even the the Roman soldiers, they the Roman heads, they question him. Even the Jewish heads, they question him. And everyone questions Jesus, but they can't find anything wrong with him because perfect love, there's nothing wrong with it. It's perfect. When a person is the truth, they have no fear of examination. You can't find any fault in a man like Jesus. No matter how much you're looking and searching and hoping that there will be an aspect of Jesus that will let you down. Even the Jews, even the Romans, they could not find fault with him. Because he's perfect. But then... 
They can't find fault. And it's funny because the the Roman head Pontius Pilate, he starts interrogating Jesus and Jesus doesn't answer. You know, this is the head. This guy apparently has authority to kill Jesus. And he's like, tell me the truth, Jesus. And Jesus. He says, don't you know, I have authority, Pilate, to kill you. Well, don't you say, don't don't you know, I have authority, Jesus, to kill you or to give you life. And Jesus speaks to him. He says, you wouldn't have any authority unless it was given to you. And when Jesus says this, you know what he's saying? He's saying, actually. Pilate, you can't send me to the cross. You know what? You can't send me to the cross. Here's what I want you to get tonight. Your sin didn't send Jesus to the cross. Newsflash. See, many of us, we we hear the cross and we've heard the story of Jesus so much that we believe that it's my mistake. It's everything I've done that sent Jesus to the cross. Your sin didn't send Jesus to the cross. His love did. See, your sin didn't send him to the cross. Jesus chose to go to the cross on your behalf. And it wasn't your sin that kept him on the cross. It was his love. See, when he said that to Pilate, after after a while, they just got rid of him. And then they decided the Jews, they were able to manipulate things enough to get him Crucify him, crucify him. And so they took Jesus to the cross. And he was and they nailed his hands. And they nailed his feet. And he was up there. On the cross. And at that moment, when he's up on the cross, everyone around him is mocking him. Everyone is reviling him. Everyone is calling him names. Why? Because we can't because they can't believe that there would be a love so perfect. They even say, if you're the son of God, why don't you save yourself? If you're the son of God, why don't you come down from the cross? If you're the son of God, why don't you come down? Save yourself. But his response isn't I'm going to save myself His response is forgive them. Forgive them, God, because they don't know. that There's a love more perfect than anything else they've ever experienced. Forgive them, God, because they they look in the mirror and all they see is their sin. When I look at them and all I see is your love. Forgive them. And then. It says that Jesus, he commits his spirit. He dies. And the funny thing was that Jesus died. He died quicker than anyone else on the cross. When when Pilate found out that that Jesus had died, he was surprised. He was like, wait, what? That's because Jesus decided to die. Jesus decided to go to the cross and he decided to die and he decided to do it for you. Before I was talking about that stumbling block. And you have two options, right? You fall away 
where you fall in love. This is what I want you to get tonight. See, the cross, when you fall in love because of the cross, you can never fall out of love. The cross, <coughs> love is a position. Love isn't even actually an action. Love is a position. Love is something that Christ died to bring you back into. He, br- he died to bring you into God's acceptance. He died to bring you into God's love. He died to bring you into God's favor. He died to bring you into his heart. You know, so many of us, we're like Gomer. And we keep making mistakes. And we keep making mistakes. But the cross is God bringing us not just back in, but keeping us there. But it's not done. Jesus is up on the cross and he dies and then they take his body. They take his body and they wrap it. They wrap it in linens meant for dead people. Isn't that interesting? He's birthed in those linens and then he's died and wrapped in those linens. And they take his body and they put it in a tomb. They put it in a tomb and then they actually put guards around the tomb because they're afraid that someone would maybe come and steal the body. So they put guards. And for three days, Christ is dead. For three days, they don't see Jesus for all his followers that were committed to him, all his followers that were in love with him. They don't understand what happened. So they all actually go back to the things that they were doing. See, when you don't have a revelation of of not just Jesus, but what he's really paid for for your life, you will go back to the sin that you were previously in. They go back and then but three days later, this woman, Mary, who is interestingly enough, a prostitute. Interestingly enough, a prostitute who God had redeemed, but because God had redeemed her, she's so in love with him. When he saved her, that was one of the most scandalous aspects because they were going to stone Mary. They brought her out to the city square and everyone was, they had their stones ready. Like everyone had their, you know, they had their baseball kind of stances. But Jesus, he puts a line, he says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And everyone leaves. Because everyone's got a sin consciousness. But none of, no one's got a grace one. But Mary, she gets one. He actually tells her, go and sin no more. Because Mary all of a sudden experiences the grace of God and realizes that God loves her so much that she would never sin again. And she sees Jesus die. And so she goes, she runs to the, she runs to this tomb three days later and she goes and the tomb is empty. The stone is rolled away. And immediately she begins to think. What all of us would think someone has jacked Jesus's body. And so she's crying and she's asking, there's these two angels standing there. And I I guess she didn't see their wings. You know, it wasn't the Amaya's secret wings. She didn't, 
She walks up to him. She's like, is anyone taking him? As, have you seen him? Where, where is he gone? But Jesus is standing right behind her. And she turns around and she thinks he's the gardener. <laughs> Which actually makes sense because they disfigured Jesus to such a degree. It makes sense that she may not recognize him. They beat him up that bad. She's asking him, listen, Mr. Gardner. Okay, can you can you put your rake away? Have you seen Jesus? And he speaks to her and he says, Mary. He just says her name. All you need really is Jesus to say your name. He said her name. And her eyes opened and she realized that he had resurrected. And when she realized that he had resurrected, she goes and she tells everyone. And no one believes her. (laughs) Once again, because they can't believe that there would be a love and a power that good. They can't believe that there would be something that great. So he shows up and he shows them his scars. He shows them his, he shows them his nose. And now, now everyone believes because they've seen him and the resurrection, it happens. And then he breathes upon them and all of a sudden their lives begin to change. You know, Jesus came to earth not to teach us how to live. Jesus came to earth to teach us how to die. He came to earth to teach us how to let go of the things in life that we've been holding on so so tightly to. He came to teach us how to let go of all the things in life that we've been holding on to for our lives. The Bible says that whoever seeks his life, whoever looks for his life, he'll lose it. Whoever seeks to save his life, he'll lose it. But whoever dies, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And the cross is that evidence that Jesus gave up his life so that we would live. The cross is evidence that Jesus was teaching us how to let go of the things that we've been holding on to. So that we could experience a life that's actually better. So that we would be brought into perfect love. A love that we can never be separated from. And when Jesus rose from the grave, it was to show us that we too, we rise from the grave. That there's hope for a new life in each one of us. It's simple. See, tonight, I feel God wants to encounter you with just his love. Tonight, God wants to encounter you with his love that's deeper than what you've ever experienced. He wants to encounter you with a love that's going to make you feel uncomfortable. 
you know, the funny thing to, over the course of this retreat, I'm going to be real with you, is we've done altar calls. And there have been many of you that when I, the Lord was moving on you, I could see it. But you didn't stand. Because you were afraid. Because you were afraid that if God were to really touch you, is it going to be good? If God were to really show you his love, is it? Is it really going to be good? Is is there really a love that I can trust? Is there really a love that's better? The Bible says that God wants to give you such a great love that it would cause you to fear him. I know I said, I talked about someone loving you so much it makes you uncomfortable. But has anyone ever loved you so much that it makes you afraid? That's the kind of love God wants to give. It's the love that changes your life. I want us to pray.